This is Lowell Jackson, and we call this time fellowship, as those college kids were saying, the joy of the Lord is our strength, the enjoyment of the Lord, the joy that comes from the Lord. It's a circulating kind of thing, phenomenon of that wonderful flowing divine life. You know, the Lord Jesus said um, in John chapter 4, verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall by no means thirst forever, but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain springing up into eternal life. Um, and then, as you know, uh, we've mentioned a couple times the prediction of that, that um, Isaiah had in chapter 12, verse 3 of uh, Isaiah, therefore you will draw water with rejoicing. I believe rejoicing may be the verb form of joy. Rejoicing from the springs of salvation. So it sounds like there's just so much available to us as believers with this uh, flowing phenomenon of the divine life. One of the things that helps me so much in my own Bible study is the outlines that are in each book of the Bible in the recovery version. Uh, it shows you at the beginning of the book an outline of the entire book, its purpose, its direction, its flow, how it's going to unfold and develop. And then as I read through it, it um, continues that outline to show me how uh, we're progressing in terms of the bigger picture, the bigger view. And I noticed in my own reading the other day that there was something about uh, fellowship heading up a group of verses in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, it seems as though um, chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 are titled The Divine Fellowship. And then uh, verses 5 through uh, 11 of chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 11, are called the condition of divine fellowship. So uh, even though our relationship with the Lord is eternal, having received his life and accepted his redemption on our behalf, this uh, fellowship, ongoing has uh, got some conditions to it. It um, can be restricted, limited, just like the illustration I gave you yesterday of my little assignment my wife gave me during the storm we had a few days ago. The fountain outside of her window was clogged, so I got the assignment of going out and pulling the leaves and the debris out of the fountain so that it could flow more freely. So with that kind of a background in view, let me read these verses and hopefully we'll have some fresh light to, for the Lord to shine on them in terms of our, our practical daily journey with the Lord. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, That which we've seen and heard, we report also to you, also report to you, report also to you that you also may have, guess what? Fellowship. The motive here is fellowship. Fellowship with us. So the apostles want fellowship with fellow believers. And of course, we're having fellowship with the apostles right now through the written word um, that has been preserved for us. We Christians use, use the apostles' fellowship, the apostles' teaching as our guideline according to uh, Acts 2.42. 
Let me continue with the verse, that we may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship, that's the, the apostles and the believers, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and these things we write. May I remind you, if you missed us yesterday, what the motive is in the Apostle John bringing this to us? These things I write to you that our joy may be made full. The goal here is joy. And like in uh, the theme song we had just alluded to in Nehemiah 8.10, it's the joy of the Lord. There's a joy that comes from the Lord. There's an enjoyment of the Lord that becomes more our joy. And the apostle says, I want your joy to be made full. Does that imply that the joy may be limited, partial, um, not what uh, it fully should be? Like my wife's fountain here, he wants our joy to be made full. Verse 5, this gets into a section the recovery version calls the condition of the divine fellowship. And this is the message which we've heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Um, so fellowship here seems to be that the flow of the eternal life within all the believers, um, when we limit our private interests and those things that distract us from a full focus on God, we can start to enter into a fuller fellowship and enjoyment of the eternal life and the joy that comes with that eternal life, enjoying the uh, the triune God and the, the issue of the fellowship. Um, this uh, section of God's word has to do with abiding in the fellowship. Let me continue uh, with verse uh, 6 of 1 John we're in here. Um, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we're not practicing the truth. Uh, so this is uh, elaborating on the conditional aspect of uh, this up-to-date, current, timely fellowship with the Lord. And then verse 7 gets into probably some the more familiar verses in this passage. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and I believe many times we believers think this is kind of a general thing. Well, I'm a believer and I'm kind of generally uh, out of the world, out of the darkness, and uh, generally uh, a Christian. But I believe, brothers and sisters, that this could be a very specific, up-to-the-moment kind of walk. If you uh, ever have thought, why does the Bible talk so much about walk? Walk by the Spirit, walk in the light. Um, it seems that a walk is about the uh, smallest unit of progress. doesn't say jog, race, and the light. But a walk, of course, is step by step. And the, it's talking here about uh, taking our steps, our daily, somewhat routine, mundane human living, going to work, raising children, getting stuck in traffic lights, Taking our walk in the light, 
experiencing uh, what the apostle says here is God as light. He is in light. And when that happens, we are experiencing the Lord shining specifically, I believe, on a step. Um, does this step please the Lord or does it offend him? Does this step uh, confirm the Lord's joy with my uh, current uh, condition, situation, behavior, speaking, expression, or does it uh, offend him? So when we learn how to take a step in the light, checking with the Lord, Lord, how do you feel about this? How, um, how do you see this? And looking for that confirmation in our innermost being of the Lord's feeling. The verse goes on to say, when we're walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Does that sound like something circulating here? He's already talked about fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son. The apostles want fellowship with us and with them. And now we're having fellowship with one another. And the verse says, in the blood of Jesus Christ, excuse me, the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from every sin. And I believe that the tense of the Greek verb there is ongoing, continuous action, present tense. It's cleansing us. Um, the help I get from a footnote in the recovery version is that this fellowship is conditional and it's maintained by an ongoing, constant cleansing of the Lord's blood. And in these verses, you can see a cycle. When we um, experience the flowing life of God, it brings light with it. God is life and light. That light shines on our human living, our, our steps. As it shines, uh, many times, my experience is I get exposed. I need to take care of something. I need to ask God's forgiveness. And the good news is his precious blood not only started my Christian journey with, with redemption, but it continues in my Christian journey that I can apply that blood and it's a fully adequate covering to the offense that I've had with God. So as I get uh, that cleansing, I go back into the cycle and I experience more of the reality and the enjoyment and the up-to-date moment of God's life flowing. As more of that life flows, I get more light. And the light, many times again, will show even more of uh, how to please the Lord in every moment. It's like, you know, if you go into a dark room, uh, there's a difference between a 25-watt bulb and a 150-watt bulb in terms of what you can see. So more life, more light, more applying of the Lord's blood brings in a sweeter, fuller experience of the fellowship. That brings That's, of course, life, more life, more light, more applying of the Lord's blood, more enjoyment of the Lord's flowing life. Well, I think you get the point, but I would have never seen that had it not been for this uh, footnote in the recovery version. So um, this restores any uh, fellowship problem we have with the Lord. And as we go on and a few more quick verses, if we say that we do not sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, probably a very familiar verse. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So the Lord's forgiveness is as close as an admission, a confession, an acknowledgement, an agreement with the Lord. Lord, this is not of you. This is offending you. I want to confess it, acknowledge it, and thank you that your blood fully covers me and fully satisfies uh, your demands and um, brings me into a fuller enjoyment of uh, experiencing you and pleasing you in the moment. So the offense needs God's forgiveness, and the stain requires his cleansing, that we may have uh, full, uninterrupted, enjoyable uh, fellowship with him. Um, that uh, help I've shared with you, uh, I cannot take any credit for it. <laughs> it comes from uh, the recovery version uh, of the New Testament. So we're going to take a short break, courtesy of our dear brother, uh, Doug Apple, and come back with an interview. No scripts, no advanced questions, just right up to date fellowship with a brother in the Lord and learn from the, his experience. So then, as it was through one offense unto condemnation to all men, so also it was through the one righteous act unto justification of life to all men. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Life is the goal of God's salvation. Thus, justification is of life. Justification is not an end in itself. It is for life. Through justification, we have come up to the standard of God's righteousness and correspond with it, so that now He can impart His life to us. Justification changes our outward position. Life changes our inward disposition. Scripture and Commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version, published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit recoveryversion.org. My name is Mary. I am assistant professor at Florida State University. I enjoy teaching and research on campus. As a researcher, I have many discoveries. But the biggest discovery is the fact that I have a human spirit. Whenever I call, Oh Lord Jesus, I get the response of this wonderful person, the eternal God right in my spirit. I am happy living in the presence of the Lord. I invite you to experience this unspeakable joy by calling on Him from deep within your spirit and your heart.
Thank you, Doug Apple, for making it so easy for us. He does all the complicated stuff so that uh, the rest of us can just uh, relax and have some fellowship like we've been talking about a little bit. Try to experience the the flowing of God uh, to us, within us, through us, and to one another. So as I like what uh, John was saying there, uh, fellowship with us and fellowship with one another. And we're going to have some fellowship right now with another real Christian, uh, try to tap into uh, their journey and uh, enjoy that journey. Maybe we'll get some help with our journey from that. And our guest today was uh, sent over by our good friends at uh, Tallahassee Christian College and Training Center, David Hull. And David, we're very glad you came, and on short notice too, right? Yes, sir, very <laughs> short notice. <laughs> well, yes. thank you for your, uh, well, what's what's the biblical word for uh, short notice? Maybe, um, um, I can't, what's <laughs> Well, blink of an eye in 1 Corinthians 15 refers to a moment that can't be divided anymore. <laughs> it's uncuttable. <laughs> Well, uh, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're kind and flexible, so uh, I guess that's what you do when you're attached to the vine and your branch, right? A, a vine okay. is flexible and grows okay. over and under and around, and you're just attached to that kind of uh, living flexibility, right? Sounds good. Well, well, David, one of the things we like to do here in this time of uh, meeting other believers and the believers who are joining us on the radio is uh, just to hear the short version of your life story. We don't. Uh, Doug Apple's not going to give me enough time to get the long version, but uh, just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your, your journey up until the point you met the Lord, and bring us up to date, if you would. It's hard for me to give a short version. You got to. Doug's apple insist on it. <laughs> well, I, I was not really raised in the church much growing up. Uh, mm-hmm. We attended various places. We moved around a lot, but there were... Uh, whole stretches of years where we didn't attend anywhere. And I was not a Christian when I started off at college. I uh, went to Florida State University and uh, started off majoring in Russian. And uh, then they canceled that major and I switched to other things. But I was basically in pre-med. And uh, I'm trying to keep this brief. But anyway, I, I became a Christian I I'd uh, had a lot of interest in science, and uh, pre-med was not a major. It was 51 extra hours of science, and I had some s- uh, serious doubts about evolution, even as an elementary school child. And I thought, there's some, there's some serious flaws about this. Uh, I'd studied a lot about the millions and billions of years, and that's all I'd been exposed to, but I thought, there's there's some things about this that just don't make any sense. But I thought I'm a little kid, I don't know any better. When I get older, I will be better informed, and they'll explain it to me, and it'll make sense. Well, that never happened, and so there were a couple of key things that happened before I became a Christian. Specifically, in a zoology class I had at FSU, um, I. I can't keep it brief and go into those. But anyway, those occurred before I became a Christian. So I became a Christian in April of my sophomore year. Stayed in that, uh, uh, stayed in pre-med one more year. But then um, I switched majors to religion major. And um, then uh, the woman to whom I've been married for over 53 years and I, we got married, moved out to Oklahoma, 
went to what was supposedly a Bible college. It was a dreadful place. A number of the teachers didn't believe in the inspiration of scriptures, didn't believe in the virgin birth, resurrection of Christ, etc., etc., etc. Didn't believe in a lot of things. Anyway, I went on, got my master's, so went on to study for a doctorate. Uh, so I began ministering uh, with churches when I was 21, began teaching college when I was 25. So over the course of my life, I've taught in several uh, Christian colleges in the country and out of the country. And so now I've been teaching at Tallahassee Christian College and Training Center for close to 24 years. Really? I've been teaching there full-time for about 15 years now, I guess. So I, I still teach there full-time. David, what are some of the courses you teach? Um, I teach Greek right now. I'm teaching second-year Greek. I'm teaching a, a year-long course on Jesus Christ and all the scriptures, teaching Genesis, and teaching a seminar uh, Saturday, November 2nd on the Church in the New Testament. And uh, so typically I teach about 20 courses a year. And uh, overall, I teach, uh, I've taught about 80 different courses. I'll teach about 16, 20 courses a year or so, and I rotate through them. Wonderful. Yep. Well, maybe you can, uh, did, did I get it right there? My Greek is very, very rusty when I was talking about his uh, the present tense of cleansing. Correct. That was <laughs> katharisi, that's present tense. You're, you were correct. And is it, let's see, I'm trying to remember, too, an English class, which I didn't do very well in either in, uh, in college. Uh, present tense usually means, a pre, or is a term, maybe it's a, a slight variation on that, present ongoing action. Yes, but uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Okay. <laughs> You've got one present tense in Greek, which has to serve multiple functions. So mm -hmm. every time you hit a present tense, it's not always ongoing, but in the reverse you referred to it, you were correct. It's uh, ongoing. Yes, sir. So I, Cleanses us from all sin. So I'm going to need that all the way through the rest of my human Christian life, right? Is the constant cleansing of the Lord's blood based on confessing what I know? Well, I, I think of it in this way, that it's not so much what we do, but where we are. And Paul mm -hmm. often speaks about being in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as... Uh, being, say, in a mountain stream and the, the clear water keeps rushing over us, and as soon as we step out onto the bank, we instantly become dirty again. Mm -hmm. uh, so being in Christ or being in the stream or, as John talked about, walking in the light, mm -hmm. and you get out of the light, you're, now you're in darkness. So where are you? In the light, you're in the stream, and you're in Christ. And so it's a matter of where you are. And to me, uh, Paul uses that term in Christ a lot. And David, you're probably describing a uh, something that many, maybe all believers listening to us experience, this um, in and out kind of uh, experience that we have in our daily living and uh, something triggers it, whether it's uh, a temptation that comes or whether it's just a, a overreaction and we, we snap at someone or whatever. Uh, how does a believer get back in the stream you were talking about? Well, going back to the Greek again, if I may, uh, there's a, a verb in Greek called pipto, which means fall, and there's a verb ekpipto, which means uh, fall away. And the illustration I use is, uh, say, someone's up on the 
uh, top floor of the Capitol building and you're a tourist or whatever and you're walking around there and you fall down and you stub your toe and you get injured but that's different from falling out a window and landing 22 stories below that's falling away and i think sometimes people wonder oh i've fallen away whereas what they've done is they've fallen and so once again you fall and you're still in the capitol building that's different from falling out of the capitol building Mm-hmm. And so, in the Bible, I don't see this flip-flopping in and out, in and out. It's a matter of difference between falling and falling away. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, it compares to our emotions, that our emotions uh, can fool us sometimes. Uh, sometimes maybe a person might think, oh, I'm overdrawn at the bank, and they get real depressed, or they think they've got more money in their account than they do, and they think they're doing fine, and then they realize, no, I've miscalculated. And so the real situation and our emotional state might be two very different things. And so um, that's how I liken it, that uh, the way the Lord sees us and our actual situation might be different from how we feel about it. Mm-hmm. We get depressed, we get down, and we get high, we get excited, and doesn't necessarily square with reality. Mm-hmm. Those uh, things that you just listed uh, seem like they're part of our, our suke, I think is the Greek word, our soul. Okay. And uh, uh, I think it's First Thessalonians 5.23. Correct. That uh, Body, talks soul, about and spirit. Go, go ahead, please. No, no, you're fine. I'm sorry I interrupted you. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that uh, I believe it says there, I can't maybe not quote it totally accurately, but uh, the, the desire there of the apostle for those believers is uh, that the, God would sanctify them. And I'd like you to comment on that word, too, because I think it, sometimes it gets a little too religious and we don't realize what sanctifying really means. But his goal, his desire, his prayer was that they would be, uh, I think, holy. W h o l l y was one translation. Uh, they, they they would be sanctified, holy in preparation for the coming uh, of the Lord. And he talks about uh, the body and the soul and the spirit. Uh, and we're dig- starting to dig into that over at uh, TCCTC a little bit. Sounds like you've already had some thoughts on it as well as in terms of its application to our Christian life and the in and out and the in and out and the fluctuation of the emotions and the, and the mind racing and uh, the enemy shooting poison darts and all those kind of moment-by-moment experiences that we Christians have. Any fellowship you have for us on that? Well, you have people that have debated this business quite a bit about the nature of the body, soul, and spirit and, and how they relate and how the Old Testament views the person and sometimes make it uh, in contrast to the New Testament version. So when it talks about in the Old Testament, it's like the dust plus the breath of God, uh, those two together make the person. So you have like a twofold um, physical plus spiritual equals soul and yet in First Thessalonians 5.23 it's like you have a threefold body, soul, and spirit um, I don't claim that I've got that completely figured out um, you know God's word can separate soul from spirit you know I can't do that but I would say the the quick answer would be that put it all together completely, holy, H-O-L-Y, and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. He wants us to be entirely sanctified to God. 
And maybe that's a, a complete way uh, of putting it entirely dedicated to God. And that covers all the bases, you might say. So I, I don't profess that I've got that entirely figured out. Mm-hmm. So there are other people a lot smarter than me that, that might have that figured out, but not me. You know, we touched uh, on uh, the, the word life was in the verses that I read earlier. And you being a Greek specialist, uh, maybe we can pick your brain a little bit, because I believe, un- unlike our English language, where we throw the word L-I-F-E around for a bird's life, a plant's life, a dog's life, a human's life, we have that one word. I believe in the New Testament, in the Greek, there's uh, zoe and uh, suke and maybe bios um, and maybe some others that any comment on that, uh, how, how much more specific the New Testament is than our uh, general approach in English? Well, zoe is the word that's always used when it's talking about eternal life. And the other one you're referring to, bios, B-I-O-S, is used when it's talking about this, the stuff of life. And John uses that elsewhere in his letter. Um, the, the things of, of this life that we have, they pass away, you know. But the eternal life, zoe, that doesn't pass away. Mm-hmm. Right? Suke is used sometimes for soul, sometimes used for person. It's translated variously. Yeah. When, so you're, the, you're correct on that. When the Lord said, you know, uh, you must uh, take up your, uh, you must deny your, I think he said suke, right? What do you think that means? The word deny in Scripture, generally speaking, I would say equates with the expression say no to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I fully agree with you, David, and I wandered in, in the wilderness of psychology for years, and uh, they have another way of talking about deny or denial, uh, and that misled me as a believer for years um, because... You know, you say, well, the alcoholic's in denial because he won't admit he's an alcoholic, or the drug addict is in denial because he won't admit he's he's a druggie. Um, and I thought maybe I just had to pretend that um, you know, I didn't have these issues going on in my Christian life, you know, just live in den- denial. But I think you hit the mark there. Uh, it's like I think Nancy Reagan used to say about uh, her drug policy. Just say no. <laughs> it was yeah. pretty simple, right? Yeah. Just say no. Just say no. And that's a good way to deal with uh, our, our our psychological aspect that is still quite influenced by our culture, by what the, the Bible calls the world system. Um, you know, our, it, our, our mind wants to think a lot of wrong thoughts. Our will wants to make a lot of wrong choices. Our emotions want to have a lot of the uh, feelings, wrong feelings. And when I say wrong, I don't mean right and wrong. I mean they're not of God. Uh, they're not of this Zoe life that's deep within our, our regenerated spirit like you were talking about. And the best way to deal with this is what the Lord was talking about and you know, deny your soul life is just say no. That's the wrong response emotionally. I, I shouldn't have that quick sharp word to my wife I shouldn't have that quick sharp tempered response um, that that choice that uh, I think I want to make that's of totally of self I just need to say no to it 
that thought about a brother or about a situation, you know, is not of the Lord. I just need to say no to it. Uh, but so I wrestled for years with the Lord's, you know, word there, deny your soul life, take up your cross, you know, put, put the eliminating to it and just fo- follow me. And I'm, I think also, and you help me with this, uh, so many believers think that following is a, is a general following, and certainly it is that we've decided to follow the Lord. But I believe also he wants us to follow him moment by moment. Yes, sir. Right now. Yes, sir. <laughs> your, your thoughts? I, I agree. You said it very well. <laughs> um, well, this, the Christian life is uh, such a journey. Um, um, I, I want to go back to one thing. You said you became a believer at FSU? Yes, sir. That sounds like, you know, it was quite a divine intervention because I don't, when I go to walk around the FSU campus, I don't see and hear a lot of gospel preaching. Can you <laughs> tell me about that? Yes. If if I may, then I'll I'll mention an incident that happened at FSU in my zoology class. Mm -hmm. Uh, This this was something that triggered it. Now, uh, my first year at FSU, I had gotten a letter from uh, a church in town. Please please come visit. Uh, We've got a college group. I never went. I wanted to sleep in, and. wasn't really interested, and I had no interest in a phony religion. I'd heard about you know religions a crutch, you know, for for people that are weak that can't stand on their own two feet and so forth. I didn't want to do a, a fantasy kind of thing, uh, and so I, I was very much interested in truth, and so I, I was of a mindset that I was uh, interested in considering the options. Is there anything out there that is real? What are the what are the realistic options? Is everything man's idea about God? What happens when you die? Life, death, heaven, hell, so forth. So in in the midst of that, um, I started my second year of school, and I, I remember uh, my class. Well, I, I remember the time. I if if people were what wanting to research if I told the time and and everything they could go back and find out what it was but I recall the first day of class in one of these huge amphitheater uh, sessions hundreds of students and I was looking forward to this class and the teacher was a particularly well known highly respected professor and so he starts off the first day of class saying there's no such thing as um things being created by design or with purpose. So we went through that. That was that was Monday. And nobody said a word. Wednesday class, he's still going on about the same thing. That was that was Wednesday. Friday he's still on this. Same thing. And I'm sitting up there like row thirty and I'm on the aisle. And he's been very calm, mild-mannered, as I say, highly respected. I mean, he was one of the few professors uh, of whom I had heard well before I had ever been in that class. I was looking forward to hearing this person. So nobody had asked a question. And in my mind, I'm thinking, when are we going to get to the science? Those were the exact words that went through my mind. When are we going to get to the science? So I raised my hand. And I asked the question, Nobody asked a question before or after. And I said, based upon what you said, why is the human ear shaped 
way it is, what is there about the shape of the human ear that provides for the survival of the human race? You know, survival of the fittest. He'd been talking about that. So we'd been, gone on, we'd been going on about this for two and a half days, and I'm thinking, when are we going to get to the science? And he flew into a rage. He started screaming and yelling, and he comes up to me. He's way, way down there. He's, I don't know, 50, 7,500 feet away from me. He's in one of these huge classrooms, hundreds of students, as I say. And he comes right up to me. He's within two feet of me, and he is yelling at the top of his lungs. He is red-faced. He's yelling and yelling. How dare I ask such a question? And the whole place is in shock. And... He continues on and on and on and on. He's been very calm. He's been very mild-mannered to this point. And then he just runs out of steam. And he goes down front. And I thought, what was that about? And long time afterwards, after I became a Christian, I thought he must have thought I was some kind of gung-ho Christian that was trying to embarrass him about evolution and creation, which I wasn't. I was, you were an unbeliever, right? I was not a believer. <laughs> but later on, I figured he must have thought I, w- I was some Christians trying to embarrass him and so forth. And I wasn't. I wanted to know, when are we going to get to the science? Because he spent two and a half days saying everything happened by accident. And uh, so I thought, wow, what was that about? And so over the course of the year, I did hear some gospel preaching for the first time, and I also was examining the, the options, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, etc., 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 and the Bible. And the only thing uh, that stood up to rigorous examination was the Bible, fulfilled prophecy, resurrection of Christ, etc., etc. So I became a Christian uh, toward the end of my sophomore year of college. So it was just, uh, David, uh, kind of your own uh, seeking and digging and research just led you to Jesus Christ being real and the Bible being true? Well, I can't take the credit for it by any means, but that and then uh, something else happened in the same class. uh, The same teacher was telling us something that had to happen in every cell of the human body. He's talking about adenosine triphosphate reactions and so forth, and I thought... That takes more faith to believe that <laughs> than to believe that there's a creator God. <laughs> that takes and, a lot of faith to right. believe it's And so no. um, those were two things in that class. And this fellow is probably trying as hard as he can to get this idea of a creator God out of our heads. And it had the opposite effect on me. Um, so I was all about truth. And so that, plus hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus Christ, and searching for truth, those things came together, and I believe it's God's doing. I can't really take credit for it. So by His grace, I was saved, and there hasn't been any turning back since. Wonderful, David. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, sir. That's a very real experience. Um, You know, you made me think several times about uh, C.S. Lewis's journey, who I'm sure you're familiar with, but he was... Um, in academia, um, I think at Cambridge, if I remember correctly, uh, and he was an opposer of Christians, um, a pretty active atheist, and um, he eventually, of course, became a believer, and 
I've read a couple of his uh, books. One that really helped me when I was a young believer trying to wade through uh, academia as well and have faith and look for truth is was Mere Christianity. And in that book, um, he's talking about what you were talking about. You know, how could all of this be accidental? He's, you know, the the odds of no no purpose, no designer, and no direction. All of it being accidental. That that's a, a um, it takes a lot of faith. Yes, sir. And he says he compared it to taking a walk in the woods, and you. Uh, Notice as you're walking through the woods a very elaborate, well-designed Swiss timepiece. And it has all these intricate, moving parts uh, that are complementing one another and are in synergy, going together just to tell the time. And he said, you know, and then you would say, this thing is just accidental. Mm-hmm. This Swiss timepiece just 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 accidental. It just happened. <laughs> so I, I've always enjoyed that, and still obviously remember that illustration. You know, if you walk out at night on a clear night, like we sometimes have here in Tallahassee, look at the stars, enjoy the moon, or like you say, look at something like your ear. I'm always impressed with the eye, how somehow it can take a picture and translate it transfer it to my brain and oh there's just so many billions of examples you could use absolutely. that there is a designer yes sir there's a purposeful one absolutely he, he, someone put it together and uh, I would highly recommend to our listeners uh, C.S. Lewis's autobiography where he describes his journey from being an atheist to being a Christian and I love the title the title is Surprised by Joy. Very good. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you uh, sharing your testimony. Well, uh, we need to talk a little bit about uh, TCC. TC, do you have any courses that are coming up that people can still jump into? We, we, have, uh, we have Saturday seminars which I believe are the only courses yet this semester that have not started. We have several of them, and you can go to our website online and find out about them. But I believe everything else has already started unless there would be any five-week courses that have not begun yet. So you have yourself a couple Saturday, just one-day sessions? Uh, I only have one Saturday seminar to go yet this semester, and that's November 2nd on the Church in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little synopsis of what that's going to be? Well, <clears throat> if you look in the New Testament and see what it says about the church, and you look at the church today, as far as I can see, they hardly look anything alike hmm. in many ways. You look at the way we go at church, and you look at the church in the New Testament, you see some very drastic differences. So the and church in the New Testament is not a building on the corner with a steeple and a ding-dong. Boy, I don't see that. No, I don't see that. What do you see? Well, if you look at Acts 2.42, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, 
and continuing steadfastly for one thing in apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? Well, I, I recall when I first started in the ministry, I remember my very first day, which was summer of 1967. We, um, we met on Sunday morning. We had an hour-long Sunday school and, and worship, and that's about all some churches do today. But then I, I didn't know any better. I had been a Christian barely two years, and I, I announced, okay, I'll see you folks 5 o'clock for youth group and 6 o'clock for evening worship. I didn't know they'd never had sun worship and um, evening youth groups before. So um, we we had two more hours, and then somebody said, "Well, would you come over to our house and have Bible school, uh, have Bible study?" So all of a sudden, uh, I didn't realize that was my most successful day in the ministry, and went downhill from there. I didn't know how <laughs> you're not supposed to just start things like that. So anyway, what I'm saying. We uh, we met for five hours or six hours, um, and that was that was just an isolated incident. But uh, the thing is, churches used to meet many more hours a week uh, than they do today. Uh, I know of a congregation they'll meet for several hours for what we might call Bible school and worship meet for several hours, and then do it again on Sunday night and Wednesday night and Tuesday night and Friday night and so on. Um, I remember I used to do seminars. I recall a seminar. I did a 22-hour-a-week seminar. I can't do that anymore. Churches won't sit still for that kind of thing. A lot of churches don't meet Wednesday nights. They don't meet Sunday nights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, congregations are spending less time together studying the Bible. They spend less time together very often in doing other things. Now, that's just a simple example. But today, it's assumed if you're going to start a congregation, you've got to buy property, build a building, hire staff. Well, when do you see such things in the New Testament? Okay? We have... In the New Testament, uh, Paul says, you know, let there not be any divisions among you. Well, we've got hundreds and thousands of divisions in the church across the world. Um, the way you look at church today and the way you have church in the New Testament are two entirely different things. And uh, so, uh, if I may put it bluntly, what's the point in studying the New Testament if we're not going to learn and change and grow? Uh, it's kind of like what James says about people. You look in the mirror and you turn turn away and you forget what you just saw. And so I believe very much in the Bible. I'm a very simple-minded guy. You study the Bible and you learn from it and you grow. And so uh, to me, I think one of the, the worst lessons we teach people is to go through what we so-called Bible study and we go away and change. We teach people that's what Bible study is. And so um, we read about it in the book of Acts. We see evidence of it also in, in the letters as well. But if you look at the church in the New Testament, if we went by that, and if we practiced what we saw, the church today would look very, very different. But we, we divide and we accentuate our differences. And so um, now <laughs> you've got me going to meddling just when we're about to close up. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, the, the point is there are many differences in the New Testament. Um, so, Well, David, you know, I think a lot about my appointment that's coming soon face-to-face with the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we're all going to have that. And I think uh, 
especially in our age when we can have a copy of God's Word freely in front of us, read it anywhere, anytime, place, freely without persecution or imprisonment, I believe the Lord's going to hold me responsible. What would you do with it? You had my word. You had the teaching of the apostles. Um, what would what, you do with it? Uh, yeah. That's, just, to me, a very sobering thing. Um, one of the highlights of my week is I meet in a, in a coffee shop with a, a believer. He, he became a believer, a young man, about, I think about five years ago. He just had no background in the scriptures. He had came from a, a Catholic, not even a nominal Catholic background. And uh, he just wanted to read the Bible. So we get together in the coffee shop. We started reading just a chapter a week. And uh, this week we started uh, Revelation. That's how far we've gotten, you know, going through the scriptures. And it's taken us, like I said, probably five years. But we noticed in the first three chapters of Revelation, as you probably have, that uh, the the Lord was uh, walking among the lampstands and he wrote these seven letters to seven different churches, he said. And then he named those churches, and the names of those churches were a city. A church in Philadelphia, you know, the list there. And um, you would assume that, um, how, how would if he was going to write a letter today to uh, the church in Tallahassee, how would he do that? One church. Per city. So, so one church per city. Per city. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I, I noticed, uh, and I shared with some believers recently, the um, John chapter 17, and what we usually call the Lord's Prayer was really the prayer the Lord gave the disciples. <laughs> it was a model prayer, you know, pray regarding the Father's name, the Father's interest, uh, and oh, by the way, and He'll take care of your needs. But that was for the disciples. And I just asked them, you know, what would the, if, what would the Lord pray about? What would He ask the Father for? What's on His heart? What's His desire? Uh, what would be His prayer? And I'm sure you're quite familiar with it, but in John 17, if you read his prayer, there's a word that occurs over and over and over again. And that word is... Unity? Yes, unity, oneness. I pray that they may be one. And of course, that's not just uh, some kind of agreeing, but he goes on to give the, the oneness there a very high standard and he says even as we are one yep. there's no greater oneness than the oneness in the triune God as you could probably explain much better than me but uh, that's the kind of oneness the Lord wants among his people that, and the only way I know that can happen is that we be brought into that oneness of the triune God but you know like you were saying where is that desire among us Christians mm-hmm. that we would be one. One. Yes. I, I've thought about that, uh, about does the Lord get his prayer answered or not? Does he think that prayer is going to go unanswered? <laughs> it hasn't been for a while. Is that why we've taken 2,000 years and the Lord still doesn't have a bride, one without spots and spots of uh, and wrinkles? It's a sad situation so far. 
Well, I noticed that in those th- seven letters to the seven churches and seven cities, that he went congregation by congregation by congregation. And correct me if I'm wrong, David, as, as I always want my brothers to do, but I believe in each case he was calling for overcomers. And the implication is that not every Christian in that city or in that group or in that gathering, whatever, was going to be an overcomer. Um, but it seems like, and you can help me quite much, all the way through Scripture, all the way through Scripture, if the Lord could just get a remnant, he could turn the age. You know, he just got Noah's little handful, and he turned the age. Got Daniel's little buddies prayer buddies turn the age got 12 motley ones in the in the gospels <laughs> those pitiful disciples that i appreciate so much and with those that little handful he was able to turn the age from the law to, to grace and uh, it just seems like if the lord can get a few to fully be one with him he can he can turn the age and probably like you i believe there's one more age to be turned one more. That'll be the last one. <laughs> so, you, you, any, you see any hope? Well, in, in those seven letters, the second one's to Smyrna and the sixth one's to Philadelphia, and he doesn't have anything negative to say to either of those two churches. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's good. But the last one is to Laodicea, and that wasn't a good one. So... If those are those seven churches are in chronological order, um, that's not a good sign. <laughs> uh, so there's there is hope in the Lord, and so he's he is our hope. But um, it's by the grace of God; it's not of our doing. So. This seems to be the enemy's main tactic uh, because maybe he knows, maybe the enemy knows the scriptures very well and knows that the Lord needs a bride, wants a bride, and will have a bride. But he's so uh, effective in dividing believers by doctrine, by race, by culture, by language. And you could probably help me lengthen that list much longer. But all of these things that are not as important as just a pure love and appreciation for the Lord as our head and me, you know, needing my fellow members of the body. Uh, But he sure works every single angle, it looks like, to somehow divide the body one from another. Yeah. Yeah. He fights dirty. Yes. And and we we let him, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. That's too bad. But I, I agree with what you say. Out of John 17, the Lord prays that we'd be one. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of room improvement for room for improvement. Well, I would encourage uh, our listeners to uh, go back to that chapter, John 17, and read it and enter into the Lord's Prayer. And, yes, sir. You know, Lord, I need your desire, your burden, your vision here to be mine. And uh, I, it would... It should break our heart that it's not answered. We yes, should sir. fully desire that it be answered. 
Well, I know a colleague that you know very well, Linda Strickland, has got a cl- uh, workshop tomorrow that we should certainly mention. And I think if our friends over there at TCCTC are so flexible that if somebody just showed up, they can almost register on the spot. There's so much grace. I might get in trouble with Joanne and Jackie and... Uh, <laughs> That, well, that happens, <laughs> that people register late. The earlier, the better. That makes things so much better when they register ahead of time. But we don't turn people away when they register uh, right at the spot. And Linda's uh, seminar, I believe, is the Sacred Exchange, where she is going to help us explore some of these uh, inner uh things in our innermost being, as the translation I read earlier uh, talked about, and uh, how to uh, clear up the past and let the rearview mirror get smaller and the windshield get bigger in our Christian journey. She's excellent. She is. And so if you want to come to that uh, workshop tomorrow, it is all day. I believe it starts at 930. Uh, I would certainly come a little earlier than that to uh, just uh, sign up. They will serve you lunch. That'll be a uh, most enjoyable. Linda will do an excellent job of helping you along on that journey. I want to uh, mention a couple things about uh, TCC. One is their website. You can even do that tonight better than showing up and doing it early tomorrow. TCCTC.org. TCCTC.org. And their phone number is 513-1000. Location is uh, over at 1717 Hermitage Boulevard. That's my favorite shortcut uh, between um, Thomasville Road and Capitol Circle. Hermitage Boulevard goes east and west just before you uh, get to um, uh, I-10. Let me uh, mention uh, one more thing here. I alluded earlier to my enjoyment and appreciation for the recovery version. The translation is accurate. The outline is helpful. The footnotes are awesome. You can get a free copy if you would like just by going to BFA, that's short for Bibles for America, BFA.org, and they will send you one uh, with uh, our compliments just for Wave 94 listeners. Dave, thanks for joining us today, brother. Thank you so much. May the Lord fulfill his prayer. Thank you, Doug Apple. Take it away. Ah, joy of the Lord is my strength.